I invite us to stand our call to worship before us. We come from a world of darkness. Into Christ's world of light. We come from a world of weariness. Into God's strength and hope. We come from a slumbering world. Strengthened by the Spirit, we come to awaken our souls and watch for the coming of Christ. I invite us to go to God in prayer, our opening prayer, as it is before us. God of joy and praise, you strengthen what is weak, you enrich the poor, and give hope to those who live in fear. Look upon our needs this day. Make us grateful for the good news of salvation, and keep us faithful in your service until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives forever and ever. Amen.
I will at this time welcome Tammy Sapp and Kendall and Lily Kate to come forward to lead us in the lighting of our Advent candles. into songs of joy together, for the Lord will comfort his people. Oh Lord, you are our joy. The people walking in the darkness will see a great light. Oh Lord, you are our joy. Our hearts long for the joy that your arrival will bring. Oh Lord, you are our joy. God's promises are true. We await the birth of Christ. Tammy, Kendall, and Lily Kate. I'll invite Carolyn Philpott to come forward at this time to lead us in the reading of our scriptures. Our scripture is Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, 
They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the fable hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. The word of God for the people of God.
I'll invite our children to come forward. We are blessed this morning to have Sam Phillips lead us in our children's time. So children, come please, please come forward. But when we have special music in our worship, I, and the conversations that Sam and I had had, come on, Lily Kate Kendall, come on up, because I want to talk about some things. I had thought about how wonderful it is to be able to speak to the children about this. Unfortunately, today, Emily Wade and Harris Vaughn, who are um, violinists themselves, are not with us. But um, I had talked to Sam about wanting to speak to the children because in our conversations, both Sam and I came from what we would think of as very middle-class upbringings, almost lower middle-class upbringings in today's world. And music was how we found ourselves, our voices, our expression. And we wanted to talk to the children today about that a little bit. So Sam plays the viola which, have you all ever seen a viola? Right? Talk about, yes, you have now. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, in, in an orchestra, usually, and I play in the Roanoke Symphony, usually you have lots of violins. You have even two sections of violins. And then you have cellos, and I think you had Evan Ritchie, who is a wonderful cellist and plays in the orchestra with us. But you also have these violas that kind of are in between. They bridge the gap between the, the lower instruments and the higher instruments. So... And you just heard Sam play that beautiful anthem with the adult choir, right? And to where we were singing a cappella, but Sam was the solo instrument. So it was almost like he was his own voice, right? So that's what we talked about. We found our voices through music. I know both Lily Kate and um, Kendall, they dance. When I went to see the Christmas Spectacular over at the community college last weekend, wow, to be able to see the talent that was there was terrific. So you, you also have beautiful voices, but you express yourself through dance too, right? Do you play an instrument? What do you play? You play the violin? How long have you been studying? Are you just a beginner? Um, I just started this year. <gasps> oh, and who is your teacher? Miss um, Julia. Miss Julia. Miss, I bet, yeah, Miss Julia Shoemate. Oh, awesome. Well, that's what we wanted Sam to be able to speak to. So Sam plays for the Roanoke Symphony, and he moonlights by day as a CPA. <laughs> right? We tend to think of it the other way. So just talk a moment, Sam, about how music has been um, so rewarding in your life, even as a CPA. <laughs> I've been very unfortunate because when I was your ages, we had a really good public school music program. And that probably, I may not have gone to college had I not have had that exposure to, you know, I might have not have been in the, the best of crowds had it not been for that. So, and it's really totally changed my life. 
in terms of giving me opportunities and with my kids that are now off at college and they were very musically active in the youth orchestra in Roanoke. And so I, I really encourage you to, to find something that you're passionate about and you can do it, that's something you can do for the rest of your life. You may not be able to do other things, but you can do that. Absolutely, and I think that's one, when we have the moment in the children's time to be able to speak to this, I think it's so important because I think we would all agree that the gifts of music, that the gifts of dance, the gift of all the humanities that we have to offer enrich us, and I truly believe that they are gifts of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for coming up. Thank you, Sam and Jill and Tally and Lily Kate and Kendall. And Carolyn will lead us in the reading of the gospel. The scripture is Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What would you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among the born of those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, I don't know about you, but I hereby confess to my frustration, not always a healthy frustration, of not receiving a simple yes or no answer to a direct question. I trust this frustration is not mine alone, that others in this good company may nod and smile in recalling conversations in which, this is where you may smile and nod, instead of receiving a response of yes or no to a question we ask, we receive instead some rambling response in which there is little evidence that our question was even heard. I'm guessing as we experience a measure of exasperation during such conversation, we rarely consider this. It may have been very frustrating for us to ask a question of Jesus. For example, consider John's question of Jesus this morning. John's question of Jesus is serious. This question, are you he who is to come or shall we look for another? 
While we may find this a surprising question from John the Baptist, remember he baptized Jesus, he heard the voice from heaven, he saw the heavenly dove, it's still a question worthy of a direct response, a yes or no answer. Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, really, can any question be of more consequence than this? In other words, do we give up on you and hope to find the Savior in someone else? A serious, surprising question, still a question worthy of direct response, a question we notice not receiving a direct response, a yes or no answer from Jesus. And I'm not, not real sure I understand. Because again, John's question of Jesus is of greatest urgency, greatest priority. Everything, and by this I mean everything, depends upon Jesus' response to John's question. Do we continue to aim our lives toward you? Or do we change course, look for someone else to follow? What question could be more important than that? And why is it Jesus chooses not to offer John a direct answer to his question? Why is it Jesus chooses not to respond to John, yes, John, I'm the one? Why is it that Jesus chooses not to respond to John in this fashion? You need look for no one else. I'm the guy you're looking for. Why is it Jesus takes some risk? by refusing to provide a direct answer to John the Baptist. I mean, isn't John the one who has prepared the way for Jesus worthy of this? We ask these questions of Jesus, yet we may find ourselves further frustrated by the fact it appears to be the practice of Jesus to respond to direct questions with indirect answers. We notice he does so in response to this question from John the Baptist. We also recall Jesus does this on more than one occasion, so much so that this seems to be a trait defining Jesus, this trait of responding to direct questions with indirect answer. We remember that Jesus is going to be approached later in the Gospel of Matthew with a question regarding the payment of taxes to the emperor. Jesus is asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? A direct question, a question simply seeking an answer, yes, no. But Jesus, Jesus we notice, feels no obligation to direct yes or no answers. So the question about paying taxes to Caesar receives no direct yes or no answer. And when Jesus is asked a question regarding resurrection, namely a question about whose wife will this woman be who has had seven husbands, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Again, a question inviting a direct answer, but Jesus responds with no direct answer. Instead, he offers an answer that really does little more than invite further questions. We may remember from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is asked by a lawyer, who is my neighbor? Again, where we may expect something like a dragnet style, you remember dragnet, just the facts, ma'am? Where we may remember uh, when an answer, something like that, Jesus doesn't 
show the same interest that we do. Jesus instead responds with a lengthy and somewhat rambling answer about some Samaritan who goes to great lengths to help a man in need when no one else, even the religious folks, will do that. At the end of the story, guess what? Jesus asks a question. What a frustrating savior this man is. Again, we know the frustration of being in conversation, perhaps of sitting in some meeting, posing a question, only to receive not a simple answer of yes or no, but instead receiving some filibuster reminding us that the ideal size of a committee is three members, two of whom are absent. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> but say it isn't so, Jesus. Certainly you're above that type of behavior. Certainly you're someone who provide what we ask for, a direct answer to a simple question, how hard can it be? I mean, in this time during which we welcome simple answers from many preferred sources, cable TV, talk radio, internet sites, in this time in which we welcome so many sources to bless what we already believe, do you have to be so different, Jesus? Do you have to make us think? Do you really have to make us consider and reconsider what it means to follow you? It's so much easier if we don't have to do that. But we notice Jesus isn't going to do for you and me what we can only do for ourselves. That is to say, Jesus, by way of his indirect answers to direct questions, is going to ensure this, that you and I participate, we take part in God's story of our salvation. Because you and I have no choice but to participate in this story, being a spectator to the narrative of God's salvation is not an option. We just concluded an Advent study in which we spent a great deal of time in the story of the birth of Jesus as recorded in the first two chapters of Matthew, the first two chapters of Luke. As part of this study, there was some video material each session that showed the various figures from a nativity scene showing figures from various angles, inviting those of us in this study to reflect quietly upon persons such as Mary and Joseph and shepherds and angels and wise men. At the same time, we were invited to reflect upon the nativity scenes, perhaps more than one, that each of us has recently set up in our own homes. I hope as we reflect upon these nativity scenes, we do what Jesus is asking us to do by way of his response to the question of John the Baptist. That is, to discover the ways in which we participate in this season because we do participate. For example, it may be we find ourselves in the position of one of the shepherds 
responding to this news of the birth of Jesus with some measure of fear and wonder. Perhaps we find ourselves as one of the Magi, faithfully traveling to Bethlehem, knowing once we arrive, we are to offer the Christ child our gifts and offer him our worship. Could it be that we respond as Herod and all of Jerusalem, fearful of how our lives are going to be disrupted and disoriented by the arrival of this one who is born Lord and King of all? Might it be we respond as, as Joseph, wondering just what is, is going on here, that none of this makes any sense? Or are we those who find ourselves identifying with Mary, our souls rejoicing in all that God is doing, seeing how God has remembered the lowly and the humble, rejoicing to know God exalts the lowly and humble in the birth of this long-awaited Savior. Each of us has our place in the story of God's salvation. As Paul and I drove to Stewart yesterday to cut down a live Christmas tree, we drove past churches and other properties where we saw backdrops and other props for live nativity scenes, meaning perhaps this evening or on other evenings between now and Christmas Day, boys and girls, men and women will adorn themselves with appropriate costumes, crowns, angel wings, robes, so as to take part in live nativity scenes. It may be you've taken part in such productions in the past, may do so again. Now, maybe we smile at the idea of these amateur productions, but again, the truth is we do participate in the story of the birth of Jesus. We are reminded of this come Christmas Eve during our five o'clock service as the children of the church offer the gift of a spontaneous Christmas pageant. Likewise, each of us discovers in this season we do well to find where we participate in the birth of Jesus because we participate, we're not neutral observers. You see, because of this truth, tomorrow morning, around 200 bags of food, which you may have helped pack last Sunday, which you have certainly made possible by your giving, those food bags will be delivered from our Uptown Ministry Center to children in three local elementary schools. Now, I look at that, and it appears to be a way in which you and I participate in this holy narrative telling of the birth of God's Savior. On Tuesday morning, a special Christmas meal will be provided for our twice-weekly lunch bunch guests. Before this meal, these guests are invited to a service of worship in the chapel, invited to receive the Lord's Supper. To me, that looks like a means of preparing, watching, making room for the one born as Emmanuel, God with us. 
In recent weeks, there have been two angel trees placed in this church, each of these trees holding names and ages of children who are at risk of being forgotten in this season, but you have not forgotten them. You have taken their names, you have purchased gifts for them, gifts which now are filling up the conference room of this church. And more than this, you have found your place in the Christmas narrative. As many of you have found your place by putting together the Samaritan's purse shoeboxes to be sent to needy children in distant lands, in addition to caring and loving these children, you have taken part in this narrative which calls us to prepare, watch, wait for the one who has came to save us all. Likewise, we worship on this place on Tuesdays at noon, proclaiming the word, singing the faith, finding our place at the table of the Lord. In all of this, we give voice to the answer Jesus offers John, an answer in response to the question, are you the one or do we look for someone else? We remember the words of Jesus. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, I am the one, I fulfill God's word spoken through Isaiah, look no further. We're not spectators in this season. Jesus loves us too much to exclude us from taking part in his story of salvation. In this season, God gives us the gift of finding our place in his salvation story.
please remain standing. We're going to share in an affirmation of faith appropriate to this season of Advent, this third Sunday. If you will offer the bold response, please. We affirm our faith. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life and death abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world? This is true. To me is given authority in heaven and on earth. And lo, I am with you, even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church, before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall have dreams. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes, and it is now, that the true worshipers shall worship God so let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. Amen. And let us welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
prepare to worship God with his tithes and our offerings as our ushers will come forward. Let us pray. Lord, you're the giver of all gifts, giving to us even your own son. So deep is your love for us. May the gifts we return to you be witness to our love for you and a desire to serve you with greater faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. be seated. I invite us into a time of prayer. We know this time is the prayers of the people, is a time in which we respond to various petitions of prayer, a time in which we're also invited to name those concerns that are upon us as we come to this time and place of worship. 
I will share a series of petitions, and I will conclude with this response, which is different from what we are accustomed to, but again, appropriate to the season. The response will be, stir up your power and come, and I invite from you the words, be born anew in us. Stir up your power and come, be born anew in us. I invite us to go to God as we pray. Lord, we hear the word of your prophets, and we hear your word of fulfillment. In all of this, we are blessed. In all of this, we are challenged. We feel a challenge again to prepare and to watch and wait. We feel the call to be those who make ourselves ready. We are reminded to trust in your timing in this season and to walk faithfully as you would have us walk. Lord, we pray that each day we would find our sights set upon you and what you are doing in the gift of Jesus our Lord. Help us, Lord, not to rush, but to find ourselves blessed in your patience, in your deliberation, so that we are those fully to receive, fully prepared to receive, the one who gives sight to the blind, makes the deaf to hear the lame to walk, the dead to live again, the one who proclaims good news to all people. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this season in which we are called to walk according to your timing. And we give you thanks for our coming Savior. Lord, stir up your power and come, be born anew in us. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Stir up your power and come. Lord, stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. Lord, stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. Lord, stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the world, its peoples, and its leaders. Stir up your power and come. Be born in you and us. Lord, stir up your power and come. 
Dearest Lord, we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Stir up your power and come. For Bishop Lewis, Denise Bates, the Ministries of First Church. Lord, stir up your power and come. Lord, hear our voices joined with those of your saints, worshiping and praising you without end, and praying as Christ has taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We stand as we sing.
Thank you, Kendall. And we go now in peace as the light to the world, as those who hear again God's word of prophecy, and as those who know God's word is fulfilled in the grace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.